<laughs> I'm ready. Go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, oh, sorry. One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realized that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. Before we start today's episode, we'd like to make a quick request. We're going to start including some listener questions in the episode, so we'd love for you to send through your questions. So what burning questions do you have that you would like us to discuss with the guests? There are a few ways you can get those questions into us. That is one through sending a direct message on our Instagram. That is the Instagram, the Vet Vault, okay, all in one word. Or you can send an email to the Vet Vault podcast at gmail.com, all one word. If you've got lots of questions, we might be able to set aside some time in a few episodes to do a quick QA. And yes, you can ask me. Did you write this in there? Any personal yes, questions? Did. <laughs> you did? Okay. Maybe you can ask me some personal questions. <laughs> anything okay. you want. Anything you want anything, to ask. Yeah. Okay. Out. We can even do a shirtless Q&A, Q&A session. <laughs> Live video. <laughs> Give me a month to prepare for that one. Okay. Back to my guest. Back to my guest. Here we go. Here you go. Dr. Olivia James. All right. For today's episode, we have Dr. Olivia James. She is a specialist in equine veterinary dentistry and one of the leaders in this field. She's only months away from finishing her diplomat examinations, which will make her the highest qualified equine dentist in the entire Southern Hemisphere. Olivia has worked in veterinary practices in regional Australia, both in mixed and equine hospitals, since graduating from the University of Sydney with honours in 2003. In 2010, when her second son was one year old, she started her own equine practice, which she sold in 2018 to concentrate on her studies and to start a current business, Australian Veterinary Equine Dentistry. In this role, she travels across Australia to treat both first opinion dentistry cases as well as cases referred from other vets. She's also just about to launch a very exciting new online education resource for equine dentistry, but more of that in the episode. Our conversation with Olivia covers a lot of ground. She gives us advice on starting your own practice and making it profitable. She tells us about the importance of focusing on personal development, how to build a group of peers that inspires you instead of dragging you down. And of course, she gives us some practical tips on on how to raise children while starting a new practice, studying and even specializing. So please enjoy Dr. Olivia James. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Vet Vault. Tonight, we've got Dr. Olivia James from Brisbane, Australia. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Nice to see you. 
or hear you as the case may be. Um, so just so we all get to know you a little bit and oh, actually I said to you earlier when I spoke to you, we, we might start with a, with a story. Gerardo, after our, our last episode where we had a, an interesting veterinary story, um, I thought maybe we should start with one. What do you reckon? Mm, yeah, I think this is a great idea. Share us the, the big juicy one. Exactly. Um, so, so, Olivia, last time we, we randomly came up with, a, with one of those vet stories that you tell in the pub to all your friends oh, and, yeah. and all your vet friends go all your non-vet friends go oh uh, <laughs> and, and, we de- and we decided we might make it a feature of the podcast because ev- yeah. everybody's got a story have you got a, have you got a story for us look i had to think about this one but i also had to think about one that was g-rated that i could actually talk about because this has been recorded and it'll be around forever Fair enough. and i don't want it to come back to bite me <laughs> in 10 years time um one of the uh, funny ones uh, it was quite funny to me, but it really wasn't funny to the other person involved. Uh, but they won't be listening to this, so, so that's okay. Um, when my kids were younger, we had them in um, daycare before they were old enough to start school. And as a lot of kids do when they first go into daycare situations, they get every illness and every sickness that goes around, uh, which I think in the long run is really good for them. Mm. But my son had conjunctivitis. Um, I had a um, really important surgery booked in that day that uh, I'd been looking forward to for a long time. And the owner was kind of sitting on the fence about it. And finally we scheduled it and they were all ready to go. And the horse had traveled a long way. But my son had conjunctivitis. Not supposed to go to daycare if they get conjunctivitis. Mm. So all the other parents listening to this probably want to throttle me right now because <laughs> on that day, yes, I was that parent. Um, we had previously had some ophthalmic cream from the pharmacy, but it had run out. So I went, well, look, eye cream's eye cream. So I just went to the back of my car and I got out <laughs> a tube of ricin. <laughs> And I got my drug label on it and I put it on there so you couldn't see it. Um, <laughs> dropped him off at daycare saying, here's his, here's his next tube of, of eye cream because it, it kind of cleared up by then. <laughs> but I got a phone call from the director of the childcare um, centre about two hours later saying, um, I just wanted to check with you. This uh, eye cream says for animal use only. So <laughs> we can't actually use that. You're going to have to come and pick him up. So I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be there in, you know, an hour and 40 minutes away. So finished the surgery and went and picked him up. So that's, that's a, a G rated uh, story that I can tell. And then you administered the eye cream once you got And, and then I did. I got <laughs> in the car and I put some more in and finished the tube. Uh, yep. Absolutely. I've used a fair bit of near quarter myself in, in my time. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's something. I still have some in the in the medicine cabinet here. It's gold. I'm I'm wondering whether whether we should, as you say, we are recording this. I wonder if we should confess the degree of how much we do to our children and ourselves. Well, I don't know if um, somebody other than me wants to bring up frontline for headlights. <laughs> oh, I've heard that numerous times. Yeah. No, no, I'd say it's, as you say, the new court. I don't, I don't leave home without it. Um, we, I, I, before we started, um, Gerardo, I was, I was telling Olivia about the drama with my kid's foot. Um, my eldest son has a major, major cut on his foot um, from a, from an injury on holiday, um, and I will confess that when it first happened in Lombok hours away from the nearest clinic he may have been sutured by um <laughs> I, I i was working with my dad who is a retired doctor so there was a doctor involved as well <laughs> so you were supervised <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a, it's, it's one of our super skills is that we're actually very good at, at treating children did you dart him to hold him 
to hold him still. Oh, I should have. He's sitting right next to me. You, I, I can get him involved in the podcast. <laughs> he, can, he can tell you his version of events. Probably not. Probably not suitable on that really, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Oliver, so that that brings us to to your story a little bit. Is working with kids and working around kids and family, and um, what you did when and where. Um, so just to, to clarify for for myself, uh, so you were in. You were in practice as an equine vet when you had your children, is that correct? Yes, I was. I was in uh, equine, well, I, I was actually in mixed practice first in, in Dubbo um, and had had my first child and had started to go back to work and then was told that we had to leave where we were living due to my husband's work. Um, the job that he was on had was finishing and there was no more work in that area, so we had to move. Um, so we moved down to Canberra and I did a short stint in a mixed practice down there and then on to equine practice, um, had my second child and then a couple of years later started up my own uh, equine veterinary practice, which was a lot of fun. Had that for eight years, um, sold that last year and we now live in the inner suburbs of Brisbane and um, I just do referral dental and oral surgeries now. So that's also a lot of fun. I uh, fly or drive to wherever the patients are. So if it's locally, I'll fly. So for example, if it's down at the University of Queensland, it's nice and close. Uh, or otherwise I'll go you know, across to Adelaide or wherever I need to go to. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I, I in my Google stalking of you, I never, you never know what's, what's exaggeration on the internet, but Olivia is one of the most skilled equine dentists, if not the most skilled equine dentist in, in Australia. Um, that's what Google says and she's not, oh, and never she, trust and Google. She, she's, she's not denying it. So it's probably true. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I, ha, I have done a lot of, I guess, education there. I, um, I, I sat my membership exam for the Australian college in 2010. And then in 2015 did my uh, diplomat for ICVO, which is international college of veterinary odontologists. And about four years ago, I enrolled uh, with the American Veterinary Dental College in for the equine stream, uh, sorry, for equine dentistry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I haven't quite completed that. Unfortunately, I didn't pass both my practical exams last year. So next year, I'll be jetting off back to Las Vegas. Uh, it could be worse places to uh, to go all the way over there to redo a four-hour exam and then come home again. So fingers crossed, but we're, we're almost finished. Wow. Wow, indeed. That's an, it's an extensive process, isn't it? It's years and years of study with regards to specialty. And, and um, so what, 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 um, what was your, I suppose, decision-making process for selecting such a kind of niche area? Uh, it was really, it was a, it was a patient that uh, was the turning point in my life for this. Um, and this is a story that I tell a lot of people because a lot of people ask me because... Mm. You go, you go out with a group of friends, or go to the dinner party, and you know I'm usually the only person like that in the group, so everyone's always interested. But it was a horse that um, I saw that had terrible periodontal disease. So um, periodontal disease is the most common disease of horses, uh, and can be quite painful in some cases. And I had been unsuccessfully managing this horse. Um, I'd already done some education, but I booked myself in to go to another workshop. So up at EVDS in Grafton with Oliver Lyu, who most people, uh, especially in Australia, would know. Very good friend of mine. Um, And went and did some more training and came back and I rang up 
these owners and I said, look, can, I can't remember the horse's name, unfortunately, but I said, look, can you bring the horse in? I've learned some new techniques. Um, I would like to give it a go on, on your mare. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, they brought the mare in the next day and it just, everything just went perfectly. They, they came back later with flowers and, you know, they were so happy and the, the horse had gone from really grumpy and pulling faces and dropping feed back to a really sweet mare that was a pleasure to ride. And, and they, the owners were just so happy. Um, so I think the combination of being able to improve the animal welfare, which for me is one of my biggest drivers, but also to, you know, to get that sort of reaction out of a, a client, um, it just made me feel really good. So, so that was the turning point for actually getting into dentistry in the first place. Um, and then as I, I mean, I love learning. I, I find it really, really rewarding. Um, and I, I guess I just went and did more and more and more until I had exhausted all options in Australia. So I went um, you know, to North America and to Canada for Icevo. Um, finished that. And then there was the, really the, we'd, there was no more options for doing anything else in, in Australia. They, they had all been exhausted. Um, at that time, the fellowship in equine dentistry wasn't offered. So I was, I guess, really fortunate that I was accepted into to ABDC, American Veterinary Dental College, because they only had a very short window in which you could apply for advanced standing because it was a, a newly formed college. So I think a matter of being in the right place at the right time. Um, I'm, I've also been really fortunate to have a really fantastic group of vets around me that have really encouraged me all the way and off, offered support and advice and, and all that sort of thing. So I'm really, I'm just, I'm just quite lucky. Yeah. So it came about a, a problem that, um, you know, you were having and, you know, wanting to actually kind of level up and, 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 and you know, when, when you saw, once you saw that the problem was, you know, was solvable and, and the way that it was solved, you saw that as something that, you know, that was the thing you wanted to do next. You, know, you wanted to be able to then be able to offer that to, you know, those, those future patients that you, you know you would come across. That's right. And it, it very quickly turned into uh, learn one, do one, teach one. And so I kind of fell into teaching that way. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. I love watching the light bulbs go off, you know, the theoretical light bulbs go off in, in people's mind and, and just watching the skills improve and the knowledge improve and, and the confidence improve. It's really, I mean, it's quite a selfish pleasure because you're there to teach and they are there to learn. But really, you know, I get a lot of pleasure out of it as well. You know, I'm asking one question about um, your your exams, right? So, I, I you know, everyone struggles with with not passing exams, and and you know, like I, I can't imagine the degree of of technicality and difficulty um, diplomat and fellowship exams have. I've only I've seen some questions that they get asked in the emergency area. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that's that's next level stuff. Um, but you know, we get asked uh, all the time, how do we tackle failure and how do we tackle kind of setbacks and things? And, and you know, I, I do know some people who've sat fellows and have not passed, but then really it's kind of destroyed them. Like, how, how did you kind of bounce back from that? Um, well, I think that, that life happens for you, not, not to you. So every failure or you know not passing something is another opportunity to learn so I think for me it just means that I need more practice um, these exams are 
uh, very restricted in time. So a procedure that we would say do in, um, and I can't tell you what they are because I've signed a document saying that I wouldn't say. So it's like things that you normally would have time to do, um, you know, in, 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 in real life in a way, I suppose. Um, I suppose we're, the, we're, we're added with constraints that necessarily weren't probably, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So a procedure that would normally take, you know, three to five hours, we were having to do in two hours. So the time stress of it was really massive. Um, and I guess also for me going in on that first day, everything was new. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and I'm pretty sure I shook for the whole four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second exam the next day was, was much better. I knew what to expect, um, even though with all the procedures that I had done, I was quite confident in doing them all. But, you know, things just don't always plan out on the day. And, that, and that's okay. It's not going anywhere. I can just go and do it again. It's, it's really, it's not the end of the world. That's a fantastic attitude. Well, I think many people can be that mature about it. Maybe in retrospect, uh, a few weeks down the line, but uh, it it does it does hurt when when you do fail. But you you seem like you really have it completely sorted out. That's lovely. Oh, well, it's it's a it's another opportunity to learn. So I'm I'm okay with that. Imagine how boring life would be if you were successful at everything every single time. You know, if you won lotto every single time. Yeah, if, if you won the card game every single time, there would be no variety and there would be no surprise and it would just get incredibly boring. Yeah, I suppose it's a challenge that kind of builds you or forges the person you need to be, right? So, mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, a, it's a very good point. How boring. I've never thought of it as, as boring, but you, you're probably absolutely right. It, it, it is boring. I think it's uh, for especially veterinarians, you don't get into vet school by failing a lot. Uh, or at least academically. So I think for lots of us, it's it's more of a shock when you do get to a level where you actually start realizing your limitations and going, Ooh, you know, not not quite as clever as, <laughs> as I thought. So I think maybe maybe we as a as a group deal with it a little bit harder than than most when when we do fail. Well, well, maybe that's my secret sauce because I actually didn't want to be a vet, um, and I didn't. I I started a degree in graphic design oh, wow. originally, and. Um, had a, had a dramatic failure when we had to we were asked to draw a frog and it could be in graphics could be in charcoal could be in anything and I and I failed and I went how can you fail like it could have been an abstract um, so I just went you know what this is this is fun it's fun being at uni but I can't see myself doing this in ten years time so um, went went into an animal science degree and then transferred from there so I guess I'm not that I was never all that academically good at, at school so I didn't have that behind me so maybe that's a wow. blessing <laughs> so was vet not even on your radar um no not really um I've always grown up around horses and you know love animals but it wasn't on my radar at all that's very interesting yeah I it's interesting what also what you said about boredom I remember having a conversation with someone recently about the value of boredom mm-hmm. like boredom is one of the most motivating things ever right so you probably looked at you know, potentially being a graphic designer and drawing different varieties of, of frogs is possibly the most unstimulating boring thing for you ever and and for me when i um finished high school i i didn't know what i wanted to do and then getting a job in a library and like not like a, it was an awesome job and had you know great um colleagues and so forth but it got to a point where actually it was really quite unstimulating for me and 
that was, and, and I thought back then there, which was like, could I do this for 10 years? And, and upon reflection, it was boredom actually, that was one of the biggest motivators for me to actually go to uni and, you know, eventually resulted in going to vet science. So yeah, the, motivator, yeah. the motivational power of boredom. I don't know if you've heard the, um, gosh, what's the name of it? It's a Tony Robbins thing. It's the six, the, the six human needs mm. and they're different. They're different for everybody. So um, I'm, I probably won't be able to remember them all now, but love, love and connection, um, variety, um, certainty or uncertainty, um, mm. contribution, significance. And I think I've probably left, left one out. No, that's, that's but, um, they're, they're, diff- they're different for everybody. Mm. So I, I get you. I go, so security and certainty um is probably not what you're after you're looking for variety and adventure probably hey that's definitely yeah so my top two human needs are love and connection and and variety which is why i think i like traveling so much and and why i enjoy difficult surgeries so much too like it's it's a puzzle you have to you have to sort it out and you're the person there to to go and do it so get on with it yeah yeah and and and, and is that something you were born with is that, do you think that is an, because you, you guys are saying that, that Tony Robbins says that's an inherent trait? Yes. Is that, um, you always well, he, sa- that? he says that that applies to, to all human beings, whether they, they know it in their head or not. Um, but I mean, if I, say for example, if I said, could you think of somebody who thinks of themselves as a very significant person? You could probably off the cuff think of one or two um, straight away. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just wondering uh, when you say the idea of a difficult surgery excites you, whereas for mm-hmm. lots of lots of people, it's frightening. And I, I look at your history, at your your work history, starting a starting your own practice when you have a one year old. Now, for, what was for, I for, thinking? Well, exactly. Oh. Why? I want to say clearly. Well, why? Well, tell us why. Is it? Is it? Is, um, is well, a couple of a couple of different reasons. Um, uh, if you haven't worked this out already, I'm pretty opinionated. Um, <laughs> so I really, I like to do things my way. And I, I felt that there was an opportunity for to me, for me to be able to run a practice the way I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, also working as an associate with two kids in daycare, paying daycare fees, really financially, just it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you paid you, you paid the childcare fees, there was really, there was very, very little left over. Um, and that, that can get a little bit disheartening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my, really for me, I, I just wanted to be happy. I just wanted to go about my day-to-day life and help horses and chat to clients and, and be happy. So that's that's the way I decided to go. Um, and you know, I'm really glad th- that I did. I the place that I was before really was a wonderful place, and I learnt uh, such a huge amount from there. But really, it it wasn't for me long term. So this was the right thing to do. Okay, so adventure, right? adventure and challenge versus stability and yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, versus certainty. <laughs> and, yeah, no, that's exactly make <laughs> stuff up, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm getting at. It, it, it has to be a personality trait because I, it, I see your reasoning, but it's still very scary for for a lot of people. The yeah, but I, I think a lot of it comes with experience as well. I mean, I would approach a difficult surgery, for example, um, differently now compared to when I was I was starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the good things about going into practice by yourself is that the, the buck stops with you. 
if you're say for example if it's an emergency you just have to get on with it you don't have the option to call somebody over or you know refer it in that in that very um, immediate instance You, you just have to do it and I think that you can really be surprised on just what you can do when the pressure's on. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you say you approach things differently now to to when you were, uh, well, if, uh, you said difficult surgeries, you approach it differently to when you were just starting, how? Um, actually, I do now. I'm, I'm actually a lot more cautious because I think to begin with, I was a little bit too gung-ho and kind of hack and slash and all those things that surgeons aren't, aren't meant to be. And now I know um, a lot more about the anatomy because the anatomy of the head is incredibly complex and you can you can do a lot of damage by cutting in the wrong area or I mean I remember oh this is a long time ago now I had a horse with a, a mass in its throat um, and we went to cut it out and I accidentally cut through the prodded salivary duct you know not kind of realizing or, or maybe not paying close enough attention and the owner would ring and she sent me a photo a video the next day and the day after and the day after um, of the horse at feed time <laughs> and it just had this stream of saliva coming out when the, when the feed bucket was was near so I think I'm a lot more cautious now compared to when I when I first started wow I'm like I could imagine like uh, I had a dog which um, decided to bite down on a chainsaw and it chopped open the side of its mouth like the joker and I was like, ah, you know, you'll stitch it back together and stuff. And I didn't really think very hard about ducks and all that kind of things. And it was like, I don't know if I could even have fixed it actually, to be honest, but, um, but then, it, then it came back and there's this big swelling on the side of its neck. And I was like, oh, I don't, you know, that's probably slag. Yeah. But I thought for a second that you were like, oh, you hack and slash. And you know what? I chopped its larynx out, you know. And that's <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it wasn't 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 that bad. <laughs> I remember um, in general practice, I was um, cutting off a mast cell on the on the, like the cervical region of a dog, and I was like, you know, there's got to be the jugular here somewhere, and and like I was slowly dissecting down, trying to figure out whether where it was, and it took forever, and I was like being really cautious, and there was this one little piece of fat. I picked it up and I was like, nah, I just chopped it. And all of a sudden blood gushed everywhere, not on the wrong side of the table. And then I had to let go and run around the other side of the table, grab a hemostat and kind of clamp it off. And I was, and I was fretting really bad. And then I, then I remember like only, what, about three months prior, I went and spent time with an oncologist who did a lot of surgery on the side on my face stuff. And I remember seeing him chop out like a maxillary mass and the amount of blood that you know was lost there. And then he asked me this question about, you know, how, you know, how much, uh, how many jugglers do you reckon you can take in a dog? And I was like, none. And he goes, no, nah, you can take, you can take two. And I was like, whoa, whoa where does the blood drain then? And he's like, you know, the, the vertebral veins. And I was like, so then instantly then it was like this, oh, look, you know, they got another one. It's better than actually losing both. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think that confidence comes with, with experience and exposure to, to that sort of thing. But as a new grad, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so practice ownership with a with a one year old and would have been a three year old, three four year old at the time. Uh, he was four. Yeah, he was four at the time. How 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 do you how do you make that work? What's the how does that look practically? Um. Well, how do we make it work? It when I look back at it now, I go, oh my god, what was I thinking? 
that was just crazy. Um, to boot, we lived in a rural area, so to get anywhere was, you know, to, to get to daycare or get to school was a 40-minute drive. So 40 minutes there, 40 minutes back. So it added another element to it. Um, look, I don't know. I think we, we just made we just made it work. We didn't have family around us. Um, and as I said, living, living in a rural area, um, we... I coped with it for, for the first year. My husband took over cooking the dinner because he'd never know what time I'd be home, um, which was fine by me. It was very bland, but, you know, we, we survived. Um, we uh, utilised au pairs, um, okay. which they can, you know, they can be a real blessing, but also there's a, a flip side to that as well because you can get some really crazy people living, living in your house. Um, but I think for me, um, the the real turning point was this was down um, just outside of or between Canberra and Yass in, in southern New South Wales in winter time, and I had uh, kind of worked. This is before I started the practice. Um, no, actually, it wasn't. It was after. I had worked a whole day. I had come back. We'd done the dinner, bath, bed, bed routine. I'd gone back to the computer. Was typing up all my notes, doing all that sort of thing. And then was about to go to bed and went, oh, I haven't hung that washing out. We're not going to have uniforms for, you know, two days' time. So I was hanging the washing out and the washing was freezing as I was putting it on the line. And I just went, this, this is ridiculous. I'm putting frozen clothes on the line, knowing that it would, would be, uh, camera's funny, it's cold at night, but it's beautiful, um, beautiful sunny days. Uh, and I just went, this, this is really dumb, got to, got to do something. So we... Um, got an au pair and she was really, really lovely. And we've had, I think, about 15 since then, um, some of which have become, you know, and will be friends for life. We've had some been really fortunate to have some really wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and I think also having au pairs, it, it worked well for us, but just it alleviated a lot of the, the guilt associated with trying to balance um, having having a career and having a family as well. Uh, say, for example, uh, when when the boys, I have, I have two boys, when they were younger and they were in um, childcare, what would happen at closing time when, you, when you're on call, mm-hmm. you're on your way to daycare and you get a call with an emergency and it's, it's a real emergency, a, a big time emergency. You, you're not going to leave your kids at daycare mm. sitting there mm. after it's closed, but you also you can't leave the horse. Mm as well you know you have people relying on you so so for us having an au pair really helped to alleviate that guilt that the mm. kids weren't always going to be the last kids at, at daycare after being there for you know x x number of hours mm. um but yeah it, it, it takes it takes work as well you you really need to interview and find someone that's a right fit um we had we had one girl she, she was lovely but she just had no clue um i had a, a colleague uh, Dr. Ian Nilsson down at my place and we were doing um, some surgery on a colt. Um, it was actually abdominal surgery for a case that um, for, for whatever reason couldn't go to referral. So we were kind of the last stop before it um, it got the highway to heaven. Um, and the, the au pair was driving in, um, had picked the kids up from school and was driving in. This is sort of uh, in the afternoon and the kids are like, oh, look, mummy's over there and um, I want to go and see mummy. So she stopped the car and opened the gate and, and took the kids in through through the, through the paddock out into the into the backfield where we were doing it so, so they could watch. Um, and then she felt like she might um, like to have a cup of tea so she left them there. 
and it was just, it was him and I <laughs> all gloved up, all sterile with, and it was a Clydesdale. This is a big horse oh, leaving wow. two little kids there. We're like, don't touch anything. Don't touch oh, anything. Don't go there. <laughs> oh, so I had to, I had to scrub out and call her and said, you, like, you need to come and get these kids. This is, this is not funny and it's, um, and it's not safe. You need to come straight away. So I think um, they're just not really, not really thinking, but, um, but anyway, the the surgery went well, the horse survived and and prospered and and the kids, the kids were fine. So that worked out well. It wasn't quite like emotionally fine. (laughs) Emotionally fine. The only only thing they they never really liked when I was doing is, is doing repro work with me is they'd walk around the corner of the vehicle. Oh, mom, (laughs) mom, can you not do that? (laughs) They were fine with everything else. <laughs> I, I, I'm, it's interesting to hear about the the au pair thing. It's it's been an ongoing debate in in our house. Is um is yes or no? Yes or no? I'm I'm leaning towards yes, uh, and my wife's still on the no uh, with the idea of having a as you say a stranger in your house. Um, is an is is something to get used to. Uh, but do you reckon that's a that's a potential lifesaver? That that's the the way to go. Um, look, it, it worked really, really well for us. Um, I think, you know, pe- people uh, have different situations. Um, you know, I think if you had family close by or lived in an area that had closer access to uh, daycares and mm. um, schools and, and things like that, it might not necessarily work well for them. But the, the interview process is really I- important mm. because you can't just take anybody. Mm. A lot of mm. au pairs, um, and, and I think it's happening more and more, see families taking them in as just uh, you know a place to sleep for a couple of nights when they land in a new country. And we have had people leave in the middle of the night. Mm. Uh, and get a text the next day saying, oh, this is, you know, I don't think looking after kids is, is for me and, and I'm off, which I, it, it's sort of, you, you do take it a bit personally because you are inviting people into your home. Yeah. Um, the great ones we've had though, like we've still, um, you know, be friends with them, friends with them forever, lifelong friends. So I think just picking the right person, um, you do have someone else living in your house and, after a while, you you know, the family maybe stops being so polite to each other because there's like a stranger in the house mm. and everything kind of mm. gets back to normal. So they see they see what you like, warts, warts and all. Mm. Um, so it's just, yeah, some, something to consider. It would mean I might have talked you out of it now. No. <laughs> I was going to say. I think you talked him into it, actually. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make my wife listen to this. <laughs> yeah. It's great to have, the, the you know, the extra pair of hands because – there's just there's always so much to do so mm. to have have someone that can you know take the laundry out or start the dinner or or pick up some bread on the way home something like that that, that it can really be quite helpful and make your life a lot stressful uh, sorry a lot less stressful but on the other hand you also have to manage them you can't just put them in that role and say there's the fridge, there's the bedroom. Okay, off you go. See you later. They, they, they do take a lot of management, especially in the early days. Yeah, that's true, actually. I've heard that before as well, especially because if you don't give them structure, then what happens is they, they, you know, it's like un, uncommunicated expectations. And then, you know, the, things don't work, whatever. They don't know what their responsibilities are. And then you're not really actually getting someone that helps you. Um, you know, you're, you're getting someone that you're going to have to actually manage even more so later if you don't set expectations right at the start. Yeah, it's, it's just like having staff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know? 
well, I don't really have an au pair for myself, but I actually have had a thought of actually getting an au pair for myself. Um, <laughs> Dude, are you have an au pair. I've, I've hung around your house. You have many au pairs. You just call, you, you just call them assistants. <laughs> so yeah maybe that's that's different yeah they're just called different names having my, my mom is actually um retired as of today and and she's like well, Charlie, can i just spend time with you i'm like yeah you can spend time with you. what do you want to do she's like oh you know i'll just you know cook your food and 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 like you know hang you you know hang you hang your washing and stuff and i was like mom you don't have to <laughs> but if you really want to <laughs> we can arrange that you know so, so actually the conversation I had today was, she goes, she goes, um, she goes, oh, I just got made redundant today. And I'm like, that's great news, mom. <laughs> I mean, like, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> but I do, I do take her where I go traveling. So I do try to take her internationally where I go traveling. Um, the hardest thing for her is actually getting on the plane. Once she's on the plane, she's fine. But, and she's, when it ends in the country, she's okay. But getting on the plane seems to freak her out a bit. So so that's our player and world trips or whatever that may be. So, if um if your mum gets yeah. gets sick of you, she can come and live with us for a while. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll add a surcharge. Yeah. <laughs> one one of the other really um, important things that I, I should mention is that for people that are doing emergencies, um, having to get your kids out of bed mm. at. 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or 3 a.m. to go and see an emergency is just miserable. So so mm. knowing that you can just leave the house with everybody asleep and everyone's safe, yeah. um, it's definitely it's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, wow. no. I'd, like, um, I'd, I've known several people who, who've had au pairs and have had very positive experiences as well as mixed ones too. And especially around what you said, Olivia, about them turning up and just disappearing and they leave you in the lurch or they'll come through and they say, I'm coming, 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 and they don't turn up. So, yes. Yeah. So it unfortunately, happen, it's, sure. it's too common. Yeah. Mm. So you've 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 survived even more than survived the, the last decade of your, of your life. You looked like you've really really thrived with it. Um, so practice ownership, and then I imagine starting to be a specialist is not a walk in the park either. Um, very time consuming. If you if you had to go back, to, or if you could go back to ten years ago and talk to Olivia, just about to buy into a veterinary practice or start her own veterinary practice mm -hmm. what would you tell her is there anything any advice that you'd give her oh, that's that's funny because that's one of the questions i ask when i'm interviewing people so i haven't really taken the time to consider how that would, <laughs> that would apply to me i think um i think knowing what i i know now i think if the opportunity presented itself i would have been better buying buying a practice or buying into a practice rather than starting a practice mm. um because you really you have to reinvent the wheel to, yeah. to do that. But a practice that's existing, you know, should already have all those um, processes all mm. you know all written down. They have existing clients. They have mm. um, revenue that that's there from from day one. Um, I think that I was just really lucky to be in an area that really demanded the services that I I was offering. There was a a big call for it and the area that I was in had um, or probably still has the highest um, horse ownership per capita in Australia and there was you know two vet practices servicing wow. servicing that area so there was there's very much a, a need need for it but if I was to go back 10 years so what would that have been 2009 so that was just before starting the practice um, I would have told myself that it's going to be 
better than you think. It's also going to be harder than you think. Yeah, that, that's probably it. I don't, I don't think I would really change anything. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't change anything. Life happens. Life happens for you, not not to you. Mm. So we get to you know, it's remember those books as kids: choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's reality. That's every day. You don't you get, pull the pages and go back when you don't like what you've read ahead, do you? Yeah, I always used to do that. Or start <laughs> the book. <laughs> choose your own adventure. I damn, I died on cheating. spikes. Okay, let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't get a do-over in mm. in real life. You, know, no, you only get right. one life. Yeah. yeah, you it's right when you find yourself in a situation, you kind of have no choice really. Hey, you, you, all the choices you take control and you move forward, whichever way that may be. But yeah, once you land it yeah. on spikes in your own adventure book, and that, it's pretty hard to undo that. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> no spikes. I used to read those um, the lone wolf ones, and they're all about fantasy. There's also lots of spikes. Lots of demons that just burst you into flames um, <laughs> and like instant explosions. So um, I think it's pretty uncommon for that to occur in reality in, in, in our world. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully there's not a hopefully, lot of bursting hopefully. into flames. I like Olivia <laughs> that you say you would have told yourself that it's going to be harder than you think. Maybe mm. maybe you shouldn't <laughs> tell yourself that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> ignorance is bliss. You go, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I had um, one of my old bosses pull, pull me aside and really wonderful person say that you you won't be able to please everybody all the time, so don't try. And that was that was really sage advice because I think the temptation is when you're a newly minted practice mm. is to go out and be everything to, to everybody, but it just doesn't work like that. Um, and I've been I've been fortunate. I've managed to find my niche, and I really love what I'm doing, and it all just goes from there. Mm. I, I do like what you said regarding um, your perspective on starting your own versus buying in right it's actually not something that i've heard so far anyone really say um mm. with regards to practice ownership and things like that um because yeah like it's a phenomenal amount of systems and processes and then yeah the the burden of of building revenue and and creating customer bases and so forth and so forth and then starting small when you are all that person that's a massive mm-hmm. undertaking and a steep learning curve and and I suppose it comes down to how much would you pay? I have a little question would you ask yourself? You know, how much would you pay to have all that stuff already sorted? 250000 it, If that's the case, then maybe that's rather buy-in as opposed to start your own. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it depends on individual circumstances. I don't think you can just put a blanket number on it. It depends how big the practice is. And mm-hmm. um, also we know that practices in Australia, this is a really sad, sad fact that most practices in Australia are only making between three and 5% profit, mm-hmm. which is why would you bother? You, you know, you're buying yourself a job. You'd be better off taking that money and putting it in the bank and getting, you know, nine or 10% back mm. um, for, you know, for, for what that, what that's worth. I, I don't know. That's yeah. a, is that a, do you know, is that a, a similar number globally or is that uniquely Australian? Um, I, I don't know, but I, I would be surprised if it was just, if it was just Australia. That is pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah. So well well run practices tend to be up, um, you know, in the, in the teens, so above tens, um, and then very well, very well run practices can can go, can go higher. So, Mm. yeah. 
Wow. But it obviously worked for you because you said you well, part of your motivation was was financial to to go the ownership. Definitely, route. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not here to brag brag about that. If I can if I can help people um, in, in in their lives by listening to what what we've done and how we managed everything, then that's that's bonus enough for me. But we we were definitely we were above the fifty percent. Um, on that and, and that's thanks thanks to equine dentistry there was a really strong demand for it and that the overheads were low um yeah so it was it, it was a, it was a good practice so what's the secret um the secret is i think becoming the expert and find, finding your niche um so to be known as that person who's that who's really really good at one thing um just draws so many people from from further afield rather than being good at everything so i think being being the expert rather than the jack of all trades but in saying that i think there's room there's room for both so maybe be the expert and employ the the jack of all trades mm. yeah um i think strong practice management as well i um in um, my previous job i was introduced to practice management by the owner there they had a strong interest as well so I did get a lot of exposure to that sort of thing um, and again it's just it's just the love of learning I started to learn a little bit and like you know light bulbs will go off and that makes sense so you'd, you'd go and you go and find out where there's conferences or, or look online and um, you know find the books to read so you could get better educated um, in this stuff I think um, you know, we we used to say that. Um, what's it? I saw a meme the other day. We used to say that um, ignorance. What was it? Ignorance was caused by. Oh, stupidity was caused by ignorance. But now we have Google, and nothing's changed. So there's there's plenty of information out there on every single subject that you could ever imagine, and it's it's just yours yours for the taking. Um, Three hundred and thirty five million dollars per day is being spent around the world on self education products. So not not only in you know, veterinary medicine, but but everything, um, anything that you can think of for you know how to manage your kids better, how to how to have an amicable divorce, how to how to buy and sell houses, anything you can think of is available and it's all out there. Yep, and it's and it's a lot of it is free as well. That's the yes, that's the that's the incredible thing. I, I'm I'm. In the last five ideas just with podcasts and audiobooks, you, you don't even have to sit down and read stuff. You can just learn constantly as you go. It's an, it's an, it is an incredible time. Were you, did you self-educate when it came to management or did you do any official management training? Um, I did a lot of, I, I guess, self, what do you call it? Self-medicate with <laughs> practice <laughs> management. Um, I got involved in... Um, Gosh, what's their name with Sam Bowden when he used to own it? The um, uh, who runs the the boot camp? Do you guys do you guys know who I'm talking about? Uh, I've heard Sam um, Bowden's name numerous times. Um, oh goodness! You'll have, with, you'll um, have to get the Diedrich Gilderman as yes. well. He's a little bit involved involved in that as well. Um, the business boot camp. I'm, I'm, isn't that terrible? I can't remember remember his name. Um, but just went just found various conferences and listened to practice management streams there um i also um uh, did a lot of tony robbins work um so a lot of people don't know who tony robbins is but he is really the master when it comes to not only living your best life but also business um and learnt just an incredible amount of skills um through through the working conferences we did there is that through um business mastery courses and things 
Yeah, business mastery. Yeah, um, I was a, a platinum partner for a year, so I travelled all around the world doing really incredibly um, crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy things wow. uh, and just got a massive amount of exposure of, of people from all walks of life. Um, but the thing about uh, people, people think that veterinary practices are different from every other business and they always think that their veterinary practice is different from any other business. But, you know, business is business. It doesn't matter what you're selling, whether it's a product or, or service or, you know, a pair of shoes. It's the same thing. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like you're going to create a circle or a group of people with have like a different perspective on things and sometimes that kind of broadens and opens your mind so it's kind of like your your circle if, you, if your current circle of people are not necessarily um, aligning with you or assisting you in your movement forward then expose yourself to a different circle of people not necessarily dump your friends but then you know open your mind up to, to different perspectives um, and a lot, a lot of those courses masterminds and things like that are a are an amazing sort of um, place for uh, you know, just having people with maybe broader visions sometimes mm-hmm. and yeah. solve your problems. You know, as you said, you know, business is business. Yes, yeah. And I think uh, they, when you get to choose your friends, not your family. Um, I love my family, by the way, if any of them are listening. Um, but they, they say that you become the average of the, what is it, four or five people you spend the most amount of time on, time with. So if you've got people that are very you know, negative and down on the dumps and have no am- ambition, then it, it's human nature to want to come down to, to that level level of energy so i think elevating your peer group is um is something that is it makes a really big difference you know holding you to to higher standards people that are going to to challenge you mm-hmm. um it's just it's a different a different way of doing it mm-hmm. I, I, I think you may have said this before on this podcast but i have actually um spent less time with some people in my life based on the fact that actually i didn't think that they were actually helping me move forward and um, become the person that I wanted to be. Um, and also the way that they were speaking about things was not necessarily constructive, necessarily positive. It was in, in if anything, the language that um, was used was actually um, detrimental to my actual mindset. So, so not necessarily cut them out as friends, um, but then actually just actively decided that actually I wanted to spend more time with other people. And that was one of the things that actually really helped me move forward in the last kind of three years, which was just a different peer group. I think you should really celebrate actually identifying that and then taking action on it because so many people just don't even think about it. They're happy just to just to go along, same old, same old, and, and life just sort of you know drags on by. Mm. Is this this why is this why you never call me anymore, Charada? Well, now that you have a mustache, man, <laughs> a dirty mo, I don't know if I want to speak to you too often. Like, uh, is this is this for November? Yes, it's for November. <laughs> but Gerardo is so jealous; he can't stop talking about it. <laughs> I can't get past the, the the week and a half phase when it's like starting to itch my nostrils and all that kind of thing. I'm like, ah. yeah. So, Olivia, how did you achieve that? The, surrounding yourself with people to who motivated you to be better you you live in the city now but it sounds like you were quite rural you're quite a, in the middle of nowhere do you well, how do you do that 
Um, well, for me, um, as I mentioned before, sort of got involved in the Tony Robbins world with personal development. That's something I've always, always really loved mm-hmm. um, and started going to the, the conferences and did something crazy and signed up to be a platinum partner, mm-hmm. um, which is it's a stupid amount of money that you, that you paid, but the, the outcomes and the results of that, it's just been, you know, you, you just can't put, you just can't put a dollar value on that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my um, aims on joining this was to, um, increase the quality of my peer group and that has delivered a, a hundred times over. So my closest friends now, um, they, they are actually mostly international, mm-hmm. but they are people that have, that I guess they, they share similar views on life to, to me in that there's, there's opportunities everywhere you look and, you know, living your best life um, and be, being grateful. Um, I think it just makes such, such a difference. So, even though we're not geographically close, um, we do make an effort to to get together. We we went um oh, I went spent a week in Bali a couple of weeks ago with some some girlfriends. So there was four four CEOs that it took us eight months to find a find a, a five day period where we could all go. Um, but just to just to go out there and spend time together. But I, I guess that program there really has given me kind of an international family um, in that I know that I can go anywhere in the world and put a call out. If I need something, there's going to be someone who's going to step up there for me. So I guess that's not not accessible to, to everyone, mm-hmm. um, but there are plenty of places you can go. Like just look, just look at the meetup groups that are happening um, yeah. all around Australia. So finding people that have similar interests. If, if it is practice management, you know, find a group of people that are discussing this. Um, go to the Chamber of Commerce or, or look for meetups. There's, there's always opportunities out there. You just have to look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm involved in um, the mastermind um, and in about three kind of online communities around professional development, coaching, but also business as well. And the the talk and the mindsets and the, the problems and just their approach to problems is completely different to what I was used to. And it just, you know, all of a sudden it starts to become the way that you think as well. And as you said, you invested a lot of money, right? And I can't imagine like platinum partnership would be close to 100K or something like that, right? Um, but that is you know, money that's investing back in itself time and time and time and time again, you know, just solving bigger issues, bigger problems, pushing yourself further and stuff. And, you know, look where it's leading to you now. So now that's, that's, I really appreciate you sharing that. So some people don't believe in or, or, or look, um, they, they see personal development as a motivational speaker or something, but there's so much depth to that, that, you know, if you can be the best person yourself, you know, what could, what's possible for you. So. Mm, that, that's right. And I think people need to look at it, not how much it's going to cost them, but what the return on investment is, is going to be. So if you're paying $10, what are you going to get out of it? Is it going to be something that if you need to put a monetary value on it, are you going to get five bucks back? Are you going to get hundred back, hundred bucks back, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. I, I really don't think that money is ever wasted on improving yourself and continue to continuing education as long as you implement it. Um, mm. I, I guess I, I was a, a typical conference junkie and I have been for a long time. I always made sure I went to two conferences a year, but you've got to implement it. Otherwise you're, you're just going there to, to have fun and have a holiday. Yeah. Mm. 
it's true it's very easy to get all excited and about all the stuff you're learning and and be all you know big plans but coming back and having a plan how to how do you implement it and how do you put it into action is yeah have you got any advice on that well i I think um in the veterinary community there's you know really as 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 an overall it's a really great bunch of people um people get into this career because they they care i think that's the most common the common reason you know caring and, and loving animals so um, if you have a special interest in something, something find someone who can help you. So whether it's, um, you know, asking your previous lecturers or your previous boss or put it on VIN or put it on um, Facebook, somebody will know somebody who, who can help you. And I think you will be really surprised on just who steps out of the woodwork to, you know, take, take you under their wing or offer advice. Or if they can't help you, they might know someone who can. Um, I, I can give a really good example of this actually because when um, I w- before I had credentialed for American Veterinary Dental College, I had um, about 25 to 30 cases still left to do before um, before the deadline for credentialing and all of these cases had to be in small animals, so small animal dentistry. And I had um, done quite a lot here in Australia through um, Gary Wilson and Beck Tucker and Aaron Forsyth over at um, another clinic in Brisbane, but I was still short a huge amount. So I was talking to one of my girlfriends in the US about this and she goes, well, you know what, I know someone who, who might be able to help you. So she put in a call to them and I ended up flying to the US and going to a practice um, just outside of Dallas-Fort Worth in Texas and these people are just, just wonderful people. So Larry Kimberlin is the vet's name over there. He didn't know me from a bar of soap. They took me into their home um, took me into their vet practice and I stayed there for two weeks um, doing procedure after procedure. He gave up a huge amount of time um, for me and and resources for me to be able to do this. But this is a person that I had never met before. Mm-hmm. But just because I knew somebody who knew them, he had been in a similar situation and faced the difficulties that, that I had faced and he, he didn't want me to go through that. So, you know, that's just an example of how people can really step up for you if you just, I guess, put the intention out there and, and, and ask. That's I hadn't intended to talk about this tonight, but it's funny, no. <laughs> funny how these things roll. Hubert uh, seems to ask for these questions about performance <laughs> and stuff like that. He's a big performance junkie, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Cobra's junkie. I'm Cobra's. And then I, I just, I just don't implement it. <laughs> it's always the way with the interviews. I love it. I always have a plan of what we're going to talk about, and it's we hardly ever hit any of those topics because it's it just gets interesting. These other things pop up. Um, I am going to ask you though about your your current stuff your new project that you're working on you oh my new project that's briefly mentioned to me earlier gerardo's gonna be interested in hearing about this yeah so that that's super exciting so there's a bit of a backstory to this um i was fortunate enough to be invited by um kirsten jackson from dental vet in perth wa to come and join on a trip out to the gilly islands in indonesia and that was run under the banner of animal aid abroad uh, to go out to these remote islands where there's no motorised transport to go and uh, treat the ponies 
out there. So doing doing dentistry and you know wounds and welfare and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and also was also very fortunate that Randlab was were able to sponsor me for this trip. So thank you, thank you, Randlab. I'll just like slot that in. A great bunch of people. Um, so we, so I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'll go and do some dentistry. Um, the idea we would also was we would also teach some veterinarians, um, some local veterinarians as well as um, some vet students. And I can go out and have fun doing that, and I can have a holiday as well because I love going to Bali. You know, all those all those beautiful beaches and, and scuba diving. And I got out there and was um, was working very closely with a local veterinarian out there, really wonderful, wonderful lady. But I was just blown away by their thirst for knowledge, because just like in Australia, they've got very little education on equine dentistry um, and that was almost like we were almost joined at the hip for that week because she wanted to see everything I was doing and what, what else could she learn and I took along an old textbook and gave a kind of an impromptu lecture one night over dinner just about patho- like simple pathology and, and things like that um, and it really got me got me thinking because continuing education can be really quite difficult for some people to access mm. um, you know for, for these Indonesian vets in particular they almost always have to travel internationally um, and that's really expensive and to take time off work and organize childcare and, and things like that so I was thinking to myself this you know really there, there has to be a better way so I thought about putting together some online lectures in in equine dentistry I, I did some research and there's own, there's less than 10 hours of continuing education available in equine dentistry for veterinarians. Um, there's plenty available by uh, lay dentists, so non-veterinarians, but I think that often or sometimes the, the content there can be, you know, not quite as science-based as we would really like it to be. Mm-hmm. So I had this idea and I talked to a couple of people about it and um, got a lot of support. Uh, and so what we're doing now is we're inter- is, um, interviewing other veterinarians or experts in their field about um, their niche, um, uh, I guess, subject or area of interest. And this thing has just got bigger than Ben-Hur. It started off as just a handful of lectures. It's now nearly 50, wow. which, is, which is crazy. But, you know, everything from just really basic stuff to intermediate and then advanced stuff. And it's really... Um, applicable to people, so for, to, for new graduates or people wanting to get better at dentistry, all the way through to practice owners who want to give their veterinarians some continuing education, but don't necessarily want them to have to leave for a week to do it. So you can kind of do it in, in your own time. Um, I mentioned before that I, I'd just been to Bali with some girlfriends to have a, have a holiday over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm no different for anyone else. I had to cook seven meals to put in the freezer when, when I was gone because m- my husband can cook but um, you know after a long day of working and everything else and I'm, I'm not there to, to share the load it's you know it's just not something I wanted them to do plus I knew that they would actually get good food rather than um, you know takeaway takeaways <laughs> um, yeah so it's, this is really it's just <laughs> it's just a different way of, of approaching it if you can you know much like podcasts most people I think will listen to podcasts while they're doing something else like they're walking or they're driving um, so it's something that doesn't take any extra time out of, out of their day yeah. so to be able to access this sort of education whenever you want 
um, I think is, is really, really valuable. So I'm, I'm super excited about this project and I have been absolutely blown away by just how enthusiastic the other veterinarians are with this venture. Like people, they're just coming out of the woodwork. They, they want to help with this. Um, they can see the value in it and look at the quality of the speakers and the education. And yeah, I'm just, this is, this is the new project. So this, is, this will be done under the banner of um, the Veterinary Dental Company. Nice. We're, so we're, we're launching that in the AEP in December in a couple of weeks or a very, very short amount of time and then we'll be um, launching it in Australia closer to the middle of 2020. So how do we find that when, when the time comes? Um, we'll put it in the show notes. I'll help you can send me all the details. Well, maybe. I, th- I think for it. people that are interested, we'll find them rather than them having <laughs> having to find us. Um, so just by using some some new, I guess, marketing techniques and, and things like that to get some get some exposure, uh, the, the word will definitely be out there. But but if not, you can just Google the, the veterinary dental company, um, you know, or, or find it on Facebook, I guess. So is it, are we talking videos or is it audio interviews or how are you, they're, how are you doing They're videos. It? Yeah. Video interviews. So more a conversational style, like, like a lot like this, mm-hmm. um, in where you, you get on an interesting topic mm-hmm. and you, it's not necessarily on the agenda, but you, you kind of take a, a deeper dive into it because it's interesting and people are, are enjoying themselves. So it's not, I guess the more formal type of lecture where somebody stands up and yeah. you know talks in monotone for a very long time and you start to get sleepy because you've just had lunch. Uh, yeah, so just just a, a different way of um, delivering education. Cool. I think it's and it's going to be accessible to people around the world as long as you've got an internet internet connection, you can get it. I think it's a great way of doing it. I, I noticed that I, I I said earlier I'm a bit of a podcast and audiobook addict. But there's definitely a style that works well because, as you say, it's very often whilst driving or exercising or something else where you can't you can't textbook concentrate. But if it's conversational, your brain keeps up with it and can can take take in all the facts. I think it's great. It's a great great yeah. way of doing it. You know, we we want to reach a thousand veterinarians in the first year. So if we can reach a thousand veterinarians that can potentially do a thousand horses, we're we're looking at impacting the lives of a million horses in in the first year. So that definitely ticks the box with improving animal welfare. And I think that also, you know, just to help veterinarians become more confident uh, and knowledgeable in, in this area, it's a really underrated area um equine dentistry is such a such a young science um and you know every every horse has a mouth there's an opportunity to to do some good really where wherever you turn so if we can also help the vets um by increasing their education and that in turn can improve their practices or you know maybe a more profitable practice or make them a more valuable employee um yeah, I think I think it's it's just a win-win for everybody. If uh, if they can, if people can offer these these services, then there's going to be more money in the local community, you know, and that improves the the kids' sporting opportunities. And like it just it, it's a never-ending circle. I, I think it just has really far-reaching consequences, and and I think that's just why I'm just so excited about it. It's a great way of looking at it. I I, I like that. I like the saying: "Every horse has a mouth." Sometimes yeah. people struggle with finding motivation or finding purpose in the in the work that they do um but to but if you bring it back to a simple level like that literally one horse one mouth if it's, it's every it's every horse every year but I, I wonder actually how much of you know like this big vision the impacting 
a million mouths, right? That is incredibly daunting for some people. So, but for you, it's energizing the fact that is it part of challenge and adventure, right? You know, um, is, is the impact ever daunting for you in, or is it, is it the community that you have around you help support you? Um, gosh, that's a, that's a tough one to answer. So this project has, it's really, it's taken on a life of its own. It's got, it's got its own heartbeat now. Um, I think that that is very motivating for me to know that we can potentially reach that many horses and help that many veterinarians. Um, it, it definitely has time at times has become overwhelming. Uh, but I have a close girlfriend who she was one of the one of the ladies I spent some time in Bali with, um, who is uh, as well as a, a CEO. She also has a business coaching uh, company, and she she charges US five hundred dollars an hour mm-hmm. for her coaching. But she's my friend, so she does it for free. Um, and the good thing is she's very, she calls a spade a spade. So she's not, not shy to tell me when I need to pull my head in or pull my head out or, you know, anything like that. So I have her to ring when it starts to get overwhelming. Um, because I think it's very easy when you're doing a project, you become so close to it. It's really, um, you you can't see the woods for for the trees. You, you're so involved in it. You can't see the big picture. So she's, she's someone that I call, um, and, I think just having my time scheduled appropriately um, works really well, uh, and just I guess eating the elephant one one bite at a time. So, and you know, I'll throw another Tony Robbins comment in there, but they they say you'd be um, amazed what uh, no, what's the comment? It's something like um, don't compare what you can do in one year compared to what you can do in ten years, or, or something along those lines. So, if you've got a big project. Look at look at the long term of it because you can work really hard and you, you'll get a great result. But if you get that result and then you multiply it by ten for ten years, that result all of a sudden just becomes absolutely massive. Um, and so that's what we're that's what we're hoping to do with this. Love it. That's awesome. Watch I out! I might I might turn you guys into equine veterinary dentists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> you, here we go. <laughs> I, I got through eating without actually holding a dental rasp. So that was my big achievement because I almost got killed three times touching horses. So oh, I don't know if you, if you if you get me back into into the horse field, you know that that would be an achievement. So. Well, I, I think um, if you're saying that you're holding a horse rust, you've obviously been out of it for quite some time now. So things have <laughs> changed quite a lot since then. Or now, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. So we're talking about podcasts and audiobooks and things like that are, are you a podcast listener or an audiobook listener or um i do yes um so especially when i was studying for my um exams a podcast like vet girl was always really good even though you know most of it was completely small animal based there was a really there's you know really good um podcasts are applicable to all species you know pharmacology and and things like that um the EVJ and EVE podcasts I quite enjoy. So that helps just to keep you up on latest publish publications and, and research. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Robbins, obviously, Rich Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. I really enjoy his his dry um, wit and, and sense of humour. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the the audio books for car trips like David Williams is is pretty pretty popular in our household right now. Who is that, sorry? 
David Williams, who's a children's author. Oh, yes, author. yes, yes, quite right. Oh. Yeah. Naughtiest children in the world and, and things like yes, that. Yes, we've got that. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, and, they, and they, they're quite listenable for to adults as well. Unlike, yes, unlike, that's right. unlike some things that, um, that you have to submit yourself to in the car. <laughs> yes. All right, those will go on the, on the list. Um, Gerardo, any, anything else that you want to, that you want to ask me? No, as I said before, like, um, uh, the, the conversation is, it has gone down a, a rabbit hole that, um, I was the rabbit hole that I always like. It's the rabbit hole that you, is, that you live in, isn't it? <laughs> it's a rabbit hole that I live in, which is personal development and performance and stuff like that. So, um, but it's, it's, you know, like the, the more we expose that it's, it's not motivation, right? It's, it's everything, you know, mm. it, it affects all areas of your life. And it's the last thing that people think about. They think the clinical knowledge is a thing that's going to make them successful. But if you marry clinical knowledge with like personal development, then that's when things start to amplify. That's when, you know, there's no use being a smart, you know, amazing clinical person. If you then can't structure your time, you can't then have um, or think bigger visions or tackle difficult situations better and things like that. Like it has to be together. That's yeah. my take. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I think the important thing there from, from my personal experience and what I still do wrong is I'm aware of this, but then I still think I should do it all by myself. Um, I, you know, I, I know I should get better at these things and then I want to learn about it, but it, things don't happen properly. And I think it's because sometimes we don't go looking for the external help or invest in that Tony Robbins course or in a coach or something like that. It's, um, mm-hmm. I think I'll keep bumping my head on that, on that one until I finally learn that lesson. <laughs> and take, well, the, take it's actually a good, a good point that you raise, um, about, about coaches because coaching now is becoming a lot more normal and accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for example, Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of, I guess, our time has, um, three coaches. Now I'm not a golfer, so I don't know if I'm calling them the right thing, but he has one coach for his backswing, one coach for his forward swing, and then one coach for his swing, swing, finishing swing. So I think if someone like Tiger Woods can have three coaches, then it's not you know, that far out of this world to think that we might have, have one. Um, and there's, there's people that are really taking this on board. So um, uh, Emma Davis, um, who is a colleague from uh, down in Canberra, she's really taken the ball and run with this and she's offering um, veterinary-specific coaching. So there's definitely an opportunity there. So a shout, shout out for Emma. Um, but there's, there's lots of different places you can go and they don't actually have to be veterinary-specific, but just having somebody that's going to keep you accountable because I think that's the thing that is makes the most amount of difference with coaching is that they're there to kick you out the butt if you don't do what you say you're going to do. Mm. Yeah. Olivia, have you, have you got anything else that you wanted to talk about? Um, gosh, well, I'm just looking at the notes that I wrote and I don't think we've talked about any of that, have we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, that's okay. Um, Probably just, look, I think asking for help is, is really important. Um, I, I don't know. Have you guys heard of the term second shift? No. Mm, no. It, it is more applicable to women to you know, in working families. Uh, I'm not saying only women, but I think usually women. And it's when you do a full day of work, 
you pick the kids up or, you know, or someone picks the kids up and you get home, mm. it's then time to start the second shift. Yeah. And that's yeah. the housework and the cooking and, you know, the homework and all of that sort of stuff. And I, I do think that um, a lot of this load does fall on women's shoulders. Um, I, I'm really, really lucky. My husband is fantastic at this sort of stuff and we, we really share the load. But I think asking for help is important. Um, I mean, you can you can even just go online and Google this, you know, tips for working mums. Um, but, you know, things like outsourcing the, the ironing, getting a house cleaner in, um, cooking two meals at once, it makes... It can make a, a really big, a really big difference. So there's, you know, there's a plethora of tips and tricks out there available to to help people. And it, you, you know, I, I think people are really quite hard on themselves too sometimes. So mm-hmm. I think it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, I, I heard, or I heard or read, I can't remember on um, somewhere the other day that one lady puts her kids to bed in their school uniform. <laughs> at night which which kind of makes sense and she I think she had four or five kids so I mean I struggle to get two kids out the door in the morning on time let alone four or five like that's just horrendous so if you can kind of you know if you need to scoot them up put them in the car then it just saves that that stressful stressful morning routine so there's all sorts of things like that available if you just go looking for it yeah I, I think people are hard. <laughs> I've done that before when, uh, like, there's six kids. I was one of six, and I, like, I did, I did that inadvertently because um, my mom was just overwhelmed. So I just went to bed in my school uniform, woke up in my school, same school uniform, went to school the next day. So, you know, I think there's a couple, couple steps in the process. I don't think that's quite what they that's meant. not what they meant. But yeah, I was just laughing, maybe reflective. When I, I think they meant a clean one. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. There was this girl that we, I really liked in primary school, was a grade four, and she goes, what's that on your neck? I'm like. No, no, no. It was dirt from the day before because I didn't shower that day. <laughs> so that's the other extreme. Anyway, but that's, that's really interesting. Wow, wow. Yeah. I, I think you're right, the, the asking for help thing. And, and this I could, again, say it from personal experience with myself and, and my wife. Um, there's, got, there's got to be, a, to some degree, a bit of a pride thing in it as well. Like it's... A, feel like maybe it's a weakness if you have to ask for help because why can't I cope or manage my own life look at everybody else they they're doing fine um that's definitely a stumbling block is to is to say yeah I do you know what I actually I don't think I can do this alone I, I need somebody else to 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 tap to tap in to give me a hand mm-hmm. for this yeah yeah and just having things like you know date nights or nights out with girlfriends just you people need a break it, it, it can it can be really tough to hold everything together all of the time and I think that's a really unreasonable expectation uh, of working families these days I you know I think that the work-life balance really is a is a bit of a misnomer um, however I think that you can have it all but you can't have it all at the same time so uh, different areas of your life will become more important as you know, throughout life. So for example, if I've got, uh, I I did my written exams in January, Um, December was a write-off. I was studying crazy number of hours a day and, um, you know, didn't spend so much time on other things. But after they're over, you can then, you can then rebalance. And I think if you, if you're spending 
quality time with your family and they have a, they have that emotional bank, then people can cope or families can cope with that in, in the short term. I don't know how well it would work in the long term, mm. but if you have that emotional bank, then, then the ups and downs of busy weeks and, and busy months, um, I, I think that you just get to sail through it a little bit more, more smoothly. Fantastic. I feel like we need to talk to you more, but I think we'll have to do it again at a second stage. Uh, we, <laughs> sure. we could carry on. I could, I could chat to you for ages. I'd love to know what else is on your list. Now we've opened up your list and, and, it, uh, it's, all, yeah. and it's all quality stuff. Uh, but, uh, well, probably just this one. If you've, I don't know, are we allowed to swear on this pod- podcast? Yes. Just, probably not. Maybe. Yeah, shit, just yes. put a beep in. <laughs> shit, yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> And someone told this to me once and and I really feel like I I need to to pass it on. But if you've had a shitty day and you've maybe yelled at the kids and, you know, you've dropped a dozen eggs or or whatever it is, after your kids are uh, are asleep and make sure they're asleep first, just go and watch them sleep for for a couple of minutes because you you really, you can't be cranky at a sleeping child because they're just so angelic. I I just don't know how they managed to do it. must be an evolution thing to stop you. From from killing them in their sleep. (laughs) All the horrible things that could go wrong. (laughs) But that's a tip and that that kind of helps it, um, you know, makes it it all worthwhile when you can see your kids sleeping. Oh, man, there's a a song... um, it's going to bug me. I'll have to edit this out. Um, I will, I'll come back to who it was, but he has a song about kids and about putting kids to bed. And, uh, and, and it's very, these songs are all very inappropriate, but very true. Some of the, some of the stuff he talks about, you're not supposed to talk about. And he's got a line in the one song that says, um, it's funny how your love for them grows the closer to dead that they look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> the closer to the dead that they look. Uh, all right, Olivia, I'm going to wrap up this this episode, but I think once your your stuff is out there, we'll, we'll catch up again for, 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 for a chat. We'll get you back out. But I'm going to wrap up this one with the last question that we always have to wrap up with. So you are talking at a conference to all of the veteran new grads of the world, which is pretty much what you'll be doing with your current project. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you have a few minutes to give them one little bit of advice. What will you tell them? My advice would be to find something that you're interested in and get really good at it. Um, I, I remember um, doing uh, the clinical placement in must have been fourth and fifth year at uni. And uh, I went to a vet clinic um, up on north coast of New South Wales and they were in the midst of a, um, let me think, no, it wasn't a parvo outbreak. They, so um, they had a lot of tick paralysis in, in that area and being a, you know, a bit of a, a gung-ho vet student, by the time the fourth one came through the door that day, I'm like, you know, what else have you got? Isn't there like hit by car or dog with a broken leg or something like that? You know, don't you find this a bit monotonous? And I, I really clearly remember the vet saying, actually, as a new grad, it's fantastic because when you see something or you're doing something over and over and over again, you get really, really good at it. And that in turn gives you a great amount of confidence and you're able to talk to clients and, and appear more confident. And that just helps with just general um overall life in practice you've got the one thing you're really good at it so you can just take it and run with it and when the clients then trust you because you do have that confidence they do allow you to 
I guess, will not allow you, but that you do sort of get to broaden your horizons in in practice that way because they already uh, know you and, and trust you. So I, I think that, that really hit home for, home for me. Um, is just to just to find something that you love and just just take it and, and run with it. Yeah, there's definitely something for that confidence of being good at something that starts spilling over into the other other areas of your work. It's just having that core of confidence really goes a long way, doesn't it? Yes. All right, we can wrap it up there. And I just remembered. Thank you so much for your time, Tim Minchin. Oh, thank thank you for having me. Love love what you guys are doing. Tim Tim Minchin. Uh, mention uh, the lullaby song google that go look at it but but do it when the kids aren't listening <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time olivia i love that i think there's going to be a lot of value there for, for a lot of people um i, I learn every time i love doing this podcast because i walk away every time with a little bit more knowledge which was the whole idea of doing this oh, wonderful thank you thanks so much for having me thank you so much Bye, Gerardo.